0: Good morning, Cornerstone people, and welcome, friends of Cornerstone. So good to gather and worship with you here today. And this morning, before we get to the sermon, two quick things I want to mention to you. Thing number one is, many of you already know, that last Saturday, a week ago Saturday, my dear mother passed into the presence of the Lord. She was 91 years old. She is absolutely joyful today in the presence of the Lamb, whom she loved and in whose arms she died. And my father, 95, uh, survives her. So uh, that was last Saturday a week ago. Well, Monday, uh, last, this past Monday, uh, there was a big storm that went by Westminster. They live up that way. And, uh, man, my dad's house got hit with, I guess, with one of those microbursts. And it was like devastation. So it's kind of like the book of Job up there right now. You know, my dad lost his wife, then the house got all messed up, trees down, branches everywhere, his cars smashed under his carport with trees on top of it. And, oh, I could go on because I was up there all day Tuesday and half the day Wednesday. But anyhow, uh, he's doing fine. The reason I brought all that up is to say, just to give you a little more of the story, but also to say. In response to my mother's passing uh you don't know this maybe but cornerstone church sent us a really beautiful bouquet and a really nice card with it and i want to just say thank you to you all and in addition to that many of you have in a very personal way just expressed your condolences to debbie and to me thank you very much we really feel your love in this time and i just want you to know uh i'm i'm just rejoicing i'm thankful for my mom and thankful my dad is continuing to follow christ and It is well with our souls, all right? So there's what I need to do before the sermon, number one. Here's number two thing before the sermon. I want to remind you, let's put that slide up for Brian Atwell, that we have a candidate. To become an elder at Cornerstone Church. This is the third Sunday we're announcing Brian Atwell as a candidate for our church's eldership. Our constitution, the agreement we have together, here's how we'll do things, tells us we're to announce him for three consecutive Sundays. And then on the third Sunday, we are allowed to call for a vote. So what we've been telling you we're going to do, but we're going to change it a little bit. Here's how it's going to work. So this afternoon at two, If you're a member of Cornerstone Church, you'll get two things in your inbox. Number one is you'll get a video. Some of y'all have said, look, I want to vote for Brian, but I don't even know him. Can you help me get to know him quick? So Pastor Jason, who just led us in worship, met with Brian in our recording studio, and they created a video interviewing Brian things that pertain to why he's qualified to be an elder at Cornerstone Church. So that video is going out to you all, all of you, members and attenders, this afternoon at 2. In addition to that video, if you're a member here, you get to vote on the matter, and you will then receive the opportunity to vote. And here's what we're doing. Since you're just getting the video, we're going to extend the voting. It's not just going to be this afternoon, but you can vote anytime from this afternoon at 2 till next Sunday afternoon at 2, so you have time to watch the video. Maybe you want to brian up follow-up question maybe you want to ring up one of the elders follow-up question feel free to do that but we're going to close that voting then next sunday at two all clear everybody did you follow that all right very good glad to keep trying to do things decently and in an order and keep things straight in the household of the lord enough for announcing things now we're going to come to god's word we're in the book of deuteronomy this is this is sermon number 11 in the book of deuteronomy and 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 today we're going to jump back to we're jumping around a lot we're in chapter 5 now in chapter 5 you have the second giving of the Ten Commandments in God's Word. The first one is in Exodus chapter 20. That was the first generation that came out of Egypt. Now we're with the second generation, and here we are in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and they are given the Ten Commandments. Today we are looking at commandment number 4, and that is found in Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. This is God's Word. Please follow. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. The title of today's sermon is Sabbath or Lord's Day. Sabbath or Lord's day. Let's pray and we'll jump in. Father in heaven, thank you for this time and your holy presence. We have loved lifting up our voices to proclaim your praise. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we worship you, the trinitarian God, and thank you for giving us your holy word that tells us about the Lamb of God, that tells us about our savior, the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord God, that salvation is free and full through the bloodletting of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. And we pray that today, downstairs with our young ones and upstairs with the older ones, may this be a day of saving grace. May men and women, boys and girls, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved today. We also pray, our Father, that you will instruct us in your will. We are your servants. We bow in our hearts before you. We say not our will, but yours be done on earth, in my life as it is in heaven. And so teach us, shape us, mold us, make us into whatever you want us to be, cause us to do whatever you want us to do. Help us to believe whatever you want us to believe, for we are your people, bought through the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so here's why we're doing this Sabbath or Lord's Day. Well, because A, it's in the book of Deuteronomy. And so we're preaching through the book of Deuteronomy, and we probably ought to stop on this this commandment and spend some time on it. But B, we're also doing this because in the process of going through Deuteronomy, several of you have actually spoken to me and asked, Pastor Steve, it's got the Sabbath in there, why don't we observe the Sabbath? Why aren't, why aren't we Sabbatarians and you know, what would that look like even? We'll talk about that today. So I'm answering that question that some of you have asked me because I figure if some ask, others are thinking it. So we might as well go there and let's, let's look at this issue. Plus there's a lot of confusion among Christians on this and there's massive differences among believers on this. Let me talk about those differences for a minute. So we have brothers and sisters in Christ. They're just as serious about God's word and following the Lord Jesus as we are. And they are, uh, let's take, for example, the Presbyterian Church in America, the PCA. Uh, My oldest son goes into a PCA church not far from here, and that pastor's oldest son is in our church. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Maybe someday we ought to agree to a trade back, but I don't know. Anyway, so uh, and I think the one who's here is PCA, and the one who's there is Reformed Baptist. So that's kind of interesting. But anyway, uh, there are large groups. So there are the PCA, brothers and sisters in Christ. There are also most of whom would call themselves Reformed Baptists. Now, I call myself a Reformed Baptist because I'm Reformed in my soteriology, my doctrine of salvation. But then I'm not a 100% adherent to the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689. I think it's the best confession ever penned by a man. I absolutely love it. I love it. I would encourage you to buy a copy and read it. Uh, But the chapter on the Sabbath, well, let me give you a little bit of my own pilgrimage on this. So where I was saved when I was 17, we were definitely not Sabbatarian. And where they sent me to Bible college, we were definitely not Sabbatarian. And where I went after that to seminary, and that was for a while here, and then a while in Denver, and then a while back here, took me. I squeezed a three-year program into five. How's that? And so it took me a while, yeah, because I had a wife and we had babies, and I had to work and go to school. And so uh, we were not Sabbatarian. And then I was a pastor for a lot of years, and I was not Sabbatarian. And then I became much more clearly Reformed in my theology, and that led me to meet some Reformed Baptist pastors and they were very Sabbatarian and they quickly figured out that I was not. So they started telling me, well, you got to read this and read that. So I got interested because I esteemed these men and I esteemed the people they were pointing me to. So here's how I roll. You don't have to roll this way. It's just me. It's the way the Lord wired me. So I, so at that point in my life, I had to find everything good that I could find from all of time that anybody wrote on the Sabbath and read it and understand it and study it and think about the arguments and so on. And I became a Sabbatarian guy. So I was happily a Sabbatarian guy for some years as a pastor and so on. But then the more I thought about it and the more I looked at the passages and the more I looked at the reasoning, I I became a non-Sabbatarian guy again. So that's the guy you're looking at right now. And we are, as a church, not Sabbatarian. I'm just letting you know that. So I will have to define that for you, and I will as we go. But that's just my personal pilgrimage in this hard thing, in this whole thing. So there are lots of serious believers who are Sabbatarian. There are lots of serious believers who are not. Why? What's going on there? What are the arguments? What are the passages? That's what we're looking at today. All right. Be nice to me. Are you interested? Oh, you're not just even being nice to me. You really are interested, aren't you? Bless the Lord. We're going to the book of Genesis first and chapter 2. The first place where we need to check in, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I'll read them for you. Two, one through three. What do we see in the text? We see that God rested. We are we are being given some history, some biography, if that's appropriate, biography of God. Here's the life of God. Here's what God did on the seventh day of creation. He blessed that day and he rested. But I want you to notice what is not here. There is no command for Adam or Eve. Therefore, Adam and Eve have a command. There's no command. There's no command for all of humanity. Now, I'll just follow me with this. This will be important for the whole message. If you're a Sabbatarian follower of Jesus Christ, here's one of the reasons why the people you're following, anyway, got there. They decided we're going to start in Genesis 2, and they're assuming. That because God blessed the seventh day, and because he rested on that day, and because he declared it holy, he made it holy, set apart to him, holy unto the Lord, that therefore, they assume from Genesis 2, therefore, this is a creation ordinance. It is a command for all people in all places and in all time. That's where they start. Having established that, they believe in their minds, having established that, then any other passage you run into, and we're going to run into them today, any other passage you run into has to be interpreted in a way that it'll fit in with that. It has to be interpreted in some way that's consistent with being Sabbatarian. So we believe guys on and you I hope on this side of the argument, we believe they're making a serious mistake right there because one of our basic principles of Bible interpretation, we call that hermeneutics, good old uncle hermeneutics, haha. <laughs> ha. Anyway, one of our basic principles of hermeneutics is, the more clear teaching passages passage trumps the less clear not so teaching passage. Or to put it another way in fact, The New Testament, the greater light of the New Testament, always helps us to interpret the lesser light of the Old Testament so the place you really want to start on the Sabbath is the New Testament teaching passages where the Apostles of Jesus Christ teach us about Sabbath and Lord's day we'll get to those later but I'm just teaching you here's why there's a divide here's part of why there's more to it we can't go into it all today here's part of the divide they they wait Genesis 2 let's start there everything else must fit it we wait Colossians 2 and Romans 14 and everything Everything else, including Genesis 2, must be consistent with it. So this is the kind of stuff that happens among believers. So some end up sabbatarian from Genesis 2, others know me no. Let's go to a second passage in the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law and the Sabbath. Now, we could see it in Exodus 20, but we already read it in Deuteronomy 5. Let me just re- reread one verse out of the section we read, verse 12. Here's what God says. Here's the nuts and bolts of it. Observe the Sabbath day. So now he's commanding people. This is the first time in redemptive history that a command is given to humans, and here's the command, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, set apart from the other days, it's going to be unlike the other days, as the Lord your God commanded you. When did he commanded them? Exodus chapter 20, the first generation. So the command was given in Exodus 20 with the 10 commands, and now the command is restated in Deuteronomy 5, and the command is very simply, observe the Sabbath day. So these people were commanded to observe a day. What were they to do on that day? They were to rest from all their labors. There's more, we'll see this soon from another passage, but it was a day of rest for work. It was also, though it's not so clear right here, but it'll come out in other passages later, it was a day of rest from work so that you would be free to rest unto worship. It was not just, so take off work, relax, lie in your hammock, and sip lemonade. No, it was you're to have a day of worshiping with God's holy people, a day of holy convocation, a day for your soul, a day for you to prosper spiritually. It's a day of no work so that we can all give ourselves to the things of God. That's what this day was really supposed to be. God wanted his old covenant people to put work aside, stop making money today, and go make your soul healthy in the presence of the Lord. That's what the day was for. But now let me remind you from a couple sermons ago when we were on the covenants. Remember that sermon? Everybody humor me. Say, oh, yeah, we remember every word of that sermon. Okay, so remember that sermon on the covenants. And what did we see about new covenant believers and the Mosaic law? Well, we saw that we are not under that law. And so, so just keep that in mind. So what have we seen in the Old Testament so far? Genesis 2, creation and Sabbath, Deuteronomy 5, Mosaic law and Sabbath. Now, the third thing we're going to see from the Old Testament is Isaiah and the Sabbath. Now, what Isaiah has to say in the Sabbath is Old Testament Sabbath law, but it's very little known. Like, if you're inclined to think, well, I I observe the Sabbath, Sunday is my Sabbath, I beg to differ with you, and I think I'm going to surprise you when you see what really was involved, how strict and how demanding actual Old Testament Sabbath observance was, because you might not be aware of what Isaiah says, but we're about to make you aware. Notice how demanding this, this is, Isaiah 58, starting in verse 13. Here we go. Uh, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, you'll see what that means is turn back your foot from trampling on the Sabbath. If you'll not throw the Sabbath in the dirt and step all over it and say, Sabbath, smabbath I don't want any Sabbath. No, if you'll turn back, if you'll turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day. Oh, that just got way more strict. It's not just don't go to work. It's don't do your pleasure. What would that be? Well, let's say you like to go to church on Sunday morning and then go out in your boat. Well, your boat's your pleasure. Don't go in your boat. What would that be? Well, let's say you like to go home and read a novel. Uh, that's your pleasure. Don't read the novel. Let's say you like to go hiking down in the by the river. Well, that's your pleasure. Don't do so. Anything that would be your pleasure, you can't go home and say to your wife, wife. Ah, church was great this morning. I feel edified and built up in the Lord. What would you like to do the rest of the day? I'll give you a little hint that Steve and Debbie's afternoon, it's a beautiful day. It may well hold our pleasure of getting on our 2001 Harley fat boy and taking a ride out in the sun somewhere. It just might be, but that would be our pleasure, and it's going to be our pleasure. might be a hot pleasure, but we're going to do it probably. But, but under Isaiah, it says, you've got to turn back your foot from doing your pleasure. It's not a day for your pleasure. And if you'll call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you will honor it, watch this, not going your own ways. So it's not a day to say, oh, where do you want to go today, honey? No, not going your own ways. Or, he repeats, or seeking your own pleasure. This is how strict, this is how stringent, this is what a burden the Old Testament Sabbath was. It was a day of resting from everything, from your pleasures in life. And notice it goes even further, or talking idly. What would that be? Well, no talking about the Orioles on the Sabbath day no talking about your boat on the Sabbath day and no talking about where you want to go on vacation this year on the Sabbath day and no talking about anything except the Lord's things on the Sabbath day. Then you shall take delight in the law or in the Lord. So this was a very demanding and restrictive thing, more than you realize if you only read the Ten Commandments and you think, oh, I'm just supposed to take a day off of work, which thing I'm happy to do. No, it's a lot more than that. It's don't think about your stuff, don't do your stuff, don't follow your pleasures. It's not like, oh, boy, it's Sunday, I'm off work. What do I want to do? It's not that. So much so that the Westminster Confession, which I highly esteem, it's the Presbyterian version of the London Baptist Confession, or vice versa, they wrote theirs first. And then we wrote ours. And ours has a lot more water in it, and ours baptizes only believers, we baptize by immersion, that's what I mean by more water. They baptize infants, we don't do that. By sprinkling, we don't do that. And, and here's what they put in their confession about the Sabbath, and this is in the London Baptist Confession as well of 1689. Listen, this Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts... And ordering of their common affairs beforehand, we'll pause there. What does that mean? That means if you need gas in your car to go to church on Sunday, get it on Saturday night. That means if you need food to eat on Sunday, get that food on Saturday afternoon. But you don't go to the grocery store and buy your food. That's what the Presbyterians and the Baptists are telling us. You don't do that on Sunday ordering their common affairs before you don't do the laundry on sunday afternoon that's not the laundry day it's the market day for your soul that's what sabbatarians i'm not one i'm not telling you what i believe don't get confused now i'm not telling you this is cornerstones law i'm telling you what sabbatarians believe and then they go on in their confession and do not only observe a holy rest all the day from their own works words and thoughts That even goes beyond Isaiah. Isaiah didn't say thoughts. Now, according to the confession, I have to spend my whole day Sunday not thinking about anything (laughs) but the word, which would be great, but try to do that, right? Not thinking about anything but the things of God, the spirit of God, the kingdom of God, the gospel, from their own thoughts, about, what thoughts? About their worldly employment, so don't have any thoughts about work on Sunday. And recreations, don't have any thoughts about soccer or baseball or whatever your sport is. But they are also taken up the whole time in public and private exercises of his worship and in duties of necessity and mercy. What would that be? Well, if your donkey falls in a ditch, you're allowed to get him back out on the Sabbath day. It's a d- duty of necessity and mercy. Now, that, my dear friends, is the verbiage under which PCA Presbyterians and under which 1689 Baptists live. Having been a 1689 Baptist, and I still am except for the Sabbath part, having been one of them, I must confess, they don't really abide by that. Like, who can and I'm reminded of what Peter said in Acts chapter 15, in the great Jerusalem conference, when they wanted to put the Gentiles, make them get circumcised and put them under the law. And Peter says, why would you want to do that? It was a burden that neither we nor our fathers could bear. And yeah, the Sabbath would surely qualify for that. You notice how the Westminster Confession goes a little beyond and adds your thoughts, it goes beyond the words of Isaiah 58. Well the the jewish people did even worse i don't know if you know this but they wrote so many laws about how to keep the sabbath that the great puritan john owen from the 1700s wrote that you couldn't read all of their sabbath laws in a whole sabbath day that's how many laws they made it was really a burden we couldn't bear all right so that's a pretty quick summary of old testament teaching on the sabbath we saw it in genesis 2 we saw it in deuteronomy 5 we saw it again in isaiah 58 Now we're going to come to a point for the New Testament and the Sabbath. That's a slide, the New Testament and the Sabbath. And and we're doing this because, well, we are New Testament or New Covenant believers, are we not? When the Lord Jesus shed his blood, when he took that last Passover, which became the first communion, what did he say? This is the blood of the New Covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We are New Covenant believers, we are not Old Covenant believers. So what does the New Covenant, what do do the authors of the New Covenant, the New Testament, tell us about the Sabbath? We're going to look at the New Testament and the Sabbath. Number one, in a general way, by way of general principle, we could notice again and again and again, and in the Sermon on the Covenants, we did, we noticed from a number of passages, that as New Covenant believers, we are not under the Old Covenant law. Amen? We are not under Moses, we're under law to Jesus Christ, but we're not under the slavery of the law of Moses. And I'll just pick one verse to remind you of many who'd speak to this, Romans 7, 6. But now, in Christ, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way, Of the written code. The written code meaning the Mosaic code. Don't you run wild with that not the written code part and throw away your New Testament. Don't you get like, well, that's just words. That's just written code. I don't have to go by that. It's just me and Jesus. No, it isn't. That's heresy. So don't go too far with this. But Paul is referring to the Mosaic written code and saying we don't serve in that way anymore. We serve in the way of the Spirit. So new covenant believers are not under the law. We're not under the fourth commandment. But now, secondly, I know my numbers are confusing today, the second thing about New Testament and the Sabbath is this. New covenant believers are specifically freed from the Sabbath law. If you're a new covenant believer, there are passages that specifically, explicitly free you from the burden of Old Covenant Sabbath law. There are two key passages. There are others, but we'll look at the two key ones today. For the first is Colossians chapter 2. Here it is, verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. What's that? That's not, are you keeping your diet? Losing your weight? No, it's not that. It's, it's Old Testament dietary regulations. They were fulfilled in Christ. Meaning, meaning bacon, right? Meaning you can have, what is it, scallops wrapped in bacon to the glory of God. And you're not sinning, you're rejoicing in the Lord. Paul says every creature is good. And nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Every creature created by God is good. This is why you can have bacon. This is why you can have pulled pork. This is why you can have crabs. This is why you can have, you fill in the blanks. You can have it. Not saying any of it's healthy, but you can have it. So, He says, don't let anybody pass judgment on you in questions of food. Oh, you shouldn't be eating that pulled pork sandwich. I'm eating it to the glory of God. It's holy. It's sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Have you ever read about what's in hot dogs? Like you really shouldn't eat hot dogs. But not because the law says it, just because all human wisdom says it. But we eat them anyway. And if you invite me over a hot dog, I'll eat a hot dog to the glory of God. Hope I don't die on the spot. But let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. That's mosaic regulations. And then he goes on to another category. Don't let them pass judgment on you with regard to a festival or a new moon or a, say the word with me, Sabbath. So in the same way that you're no longer under, subject to, in bondage to the mosaic regulations on food... In the same way, you're no longer subject to under the Mosaic regulations about Sabbath. By the way, that little threesome, festival, new moon, or Sabbath... Paul lifts that, apparently, directly out of Nehemiah 10, verse 33, where Nehemiah writes about the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, and the holy things and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. Paul lifts that phrase right out of Nehemiah and seems to say, you know what Nehemiah told you to observe? Well, I'm telling you, don't let anybody tell you you must observe that any longer. Don't let anybody judge you about that. Well, why not? Verse 17, because what were those things? These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Why do you want to go back to a shadow of Christ when you have Christ? And the dietary regulations and the Sabbath laws were all part of what pointed to Christ and looked to Christ. But now that you have Christ, they have gone away. They've become obsolete, as we saw in a prior message. This, by the way, so you see Colossians 2, how do we do hermeneutics? The more clear and New Testament passage shines greater light on the less certain Old Testament passage, Genesis 2. The question, is Genesis 2 a creation ordinance? Is God commanding all people everywhere in all times to observe the Sabbath? Based on Colossians 2, well, no. No. Because here we're freed from the Mosaic Sabbath. There's a second passage, Romans chapter 14. Let's go there. I'll start in verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith. Now, this is a special kind of weak in faith. He's not talking about you're a weak Christian, you're a weak follower of Jesus Christ. He's saying you don't understand the liberty you have in regard to foods. You don't understand the liberty you have in regard to days. And in that limited sense, you're weak. So let's say you're a stronger believer, Paul's talking to you now, and he says, as for the one, you know you're, you have liberty, he doesn't. As for the one who is weak in faith, doesn't understand his liberty, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Amen? Man, a lot of good would be done in the church of Jesus Christ if we just stopped fighting over dumb stuff, like things that we don't need to fight over, things that we can say, I love you, brother, we'll agree to disagree on that one we got PCA brothers they are baptizing babies. I would like a good fight with somebody over that one, but, but, but we don't need to fight. Don't quarrel over opinions. If you're a PCA, you're welcome at Cornerstone Church. Bless you. And I know PCA churches that would welcome me into their church, and I'm a Reformed Baptist. Don't quarrel over opinions. Now he get specific. Verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything. What was that guy's name who literally ate anything? you Yule yule brenner gibbons Gibbons, yule gibbons my wife's been watching the uh, alone series any of you alone fans in the room if you watch that where they're eating anything so here you have it one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person, he's weak in understanding his liberty in christ he eats only vegetables oh no we should not eat meats Now, here's what Paul says, verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So that's foods. Now we're going to take it to days, verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another. That's the Sabbatarian. In their day, this would be a Jewish person, now saved, still holding to Saturday as the Sabbath, but worshiping with New Covenant believers on Sunday. But to him, Saturday was still the Sabbath day. And he esteemed that day as better than others. While another esteems all days alike, there's no one day that's better. What does Paul say? Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So you have liberty. You want to observe a day and call it the Sabbath? Bless you. You want to not observe a day and not have a Sabbath? Bless you. Verse 6. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. What could be wrong with that? And the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Romans 14, 1 through 6. What is Paul teaching us? There is no one day, one, no one day of the week, which new covenant believers are commanded to observe as a Sabbath day. So let's make that our next point. It'll be number three. I know you lost count. Don't worry about it. Christ's apostles did not teach that Sunday is the new Sabbath. Now, here's what I want to say. Christ's apostles taught a lot. They had to teach a lot about things that changed from old covenant to new. Dietary regulations changed. So we have the passages, Galatians, Romans, and others, where they they do the theological bedwork work for saying here's why diet has now changed. Circumcision has changed. It's no longer required physically. It's circumcision of the heart. We have the theological passages on that in scripture. Uh, sacrifices have changed. We're no longer required to offer our pigeon if we break one of God's laws. No, that has changed. And we're given the theology of that in the New Testament. Read the book of Hebrews. It's all about that. And, and there's no more temple. There's no more one place where you need to go and offer your sacrifices. And the theology of change is there for everything that has changed. But there's absolutely no teaching by the apostles saying, and here's another change. Sunday is the new Sabbath. There's been a transfer of Sabbath. It is no longer Saturday. It is now Sunday, and Sabbath laws still apply. Now, if Sunday is the new Sabbath and Sabbath laws still apply, then there's got to be a passage somewhere where Gentile believers who wouldn't know that are taught that. Quite to the contrary, in Colossians 2 and Romans 14, the Gentile believers are taught, don't let anybody put you in judgment by a Sabbath. Because that day was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to go on to what is a point four. And furthermore, New Covenant believers have a new day, and it's called the Lord's Day. It's the Lord's Day. You have a day, it's called the Lord's Day. Where do we get that? Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, the Apostle John. And he simply writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Now, he tells us right before that where he is. He was on the Isle of Patmos as a martyr, as a sufferer for the Lord Jesus. But then he says, let me tell you what day of the week it was. It was the Lord's day. Let me tell you what state of mind I was in. I was in that prophetic state of mind. I was in the spirit. I was like transported where God was showing me things and revealing things and saying things. So I was in that prophetic state And it was on the Lord's Day. Well, what day was the Lord's Day? He doesn't tell us. But his disciples do. In some of the post-apostolic writings, people who were disciples of John directly say, when John said Lord's Day, he meant Sunday, the new day of Christian worship. And that's what we all call it. We called it by then the Lord's Day. So we don't have a Sabbath anymore. We have a Lord's Day. Well, are there commandments about the Lord's Day? Don't think your own things. Don't do your own pleasures. Is there any of that? Don't, for the Lord's Day, there's actually, I think it's fair to say, there's one stipulation, there's one command, there's one instruction about what to do on the Lord's Day, and it is this. You're doing it right now. It is Hebrews ten twenty-five. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of psalms. On the first day of the week, the book of Acts, when the disciples gathered for the breaking of bread. They did it on the what day of the week? The first day of the week. Paul prolonged his message till midnight. How did he preach from Sunday morning at 10 till midnight? No, no, no. It was an evening meeting. Why? Because that was a working day for most of the people. That was certainly a working day for the slaves, and there's no theology in the Bible that says, now you slaves, you need to get out of working on Sunday because Sunday's the new Sabbath, and you're not supposed to work, and you're supposed to rest unto the Lord. There's none of that. But John called this the Lord's Day, and we have one thing we're supposed to do on the Lord's Day, and that is gather together. Now about the gathering, there are many commands. What do you do when you get there? What should be happening? There's ecclesiology in the Bible, but we're not on that today we should gather all right so have you stayed with me are you ready for some conclusions all right here are some conclusions but not yet right all right so number one so new covenant believers are free to observe a sabbath but are not under sabbath law we've already seen that you're free. do you want to observe a strict sabbath isaiah 58 style and beyond You're free to do that. Bless you. Don't do it out of some legalistic compulsion. If you just say, that's the way I want to spend my Lord's Day, bless you. It would actually be a really healthy thing if more Christians spent more of the Lord's Day feeding their souls, reading some scripture. If you ever read your Bible on any day of the week, maybe it ought to be, I put in maybe, maybe it ought to be Sunday, the Lord's Day. If you're ever really growing in Christ on any day, if you're ever reading that Christian book that's gonna be edifying, that you remember, if you ever have a day to do that, maybe Sunday would be a good day to do that. But that's all a maybe. We're free to observe a Sabbath, but we're not under Sabbath law. Because again, Sabbath was a shadow. And you don't cling to the shadow once the person shows up. And the person has shown up. And he is our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He fulfilled the Sabbath command for us, and our Sabbath rest is resting in him from all our works. Amen. Amen. Number two, by way of conclusion. So Sunday is not a, or maybe I should have put the article the, Sunday is not the Sabbath day. It is the Lord's day. Nowhere does Jesus Christ, nowhere do his apostles say, oh, there's a transfer, the Sabbath, which means seventh, by the way, the Sabbath is being changed to the first. That transfer theology isn't there. That's not warranted by Christ. That's not authorized by his apostles. Sunday is not a Sabbath day. It is the Lord's Day. Three, in closing, only, the only Lord's Day command is to gather with God's people and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? The thing you're doing right now and the thing you love to do. And finally, number four, why did I put this in there? I'm not even sure. But taking a day off of work is good for your health. But it's not an observance of a biblically mandated Sabbath day. Is it good to have a day off? Yeah, it's good. Is it healthy to have a day off? Yeah, and there's also that saying, what is it? All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, right? You need a day off to refresh, you need a day off, but it could be Tuesday or Thursday or Saturday or Sunday or any other day you want. And taking a day off work is good for your health, emotional, psychological, and physical, but it's not an observance of a, of a biblically mandated Sabbath day because there is no such day for new covenant followers of Jesus Christ. By the way, I'm about to take some vacation, won't see you next Sunday. And if taking one day is off t- is good, Taking seven is really good. So that's why several of you asked me, Pastor Steve, why aren't we observing the Sabbath? Why aren't you teaching us to keep that command, the fourth commandment? Well, now you have discovered why. I hope it made sense to you. If you disagree, we'd be happy to have a friendly debate. Let's, Let's obey Paul in Romans 14 and not quarrel about such things. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for this time in your holy word. We wanna be a people for your own possession, a people for your praise. We wanna be people who by the Holy Spirit render evangelical obedience to your new covenant commands and so captivate us, we pray. Have our thoughts, have our loves, have our wants, have our needs, have us, as your very own, we offer our bodies to you as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to you, which is just our reasonable worship. Take us, use us for the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen, amen. Would you like to get a hold of a Cornerstone Pastor? We're available to you. Here's an easy way to reach one. Just text the word pastor to the number on the screen and one of us will be getting back to you very soon. Speak of the pastor stand his way Jason's leading us in communion today please do.